Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings. It's Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Today's a great day. So glad to be gathered in the house of the Lord with the people of God that the Lord has given me in my life to walk through this uh, journey of faith with. And uh, thankful for each and every one of you and for what uh, God is doing in your lives. And I see... Uh, well, I can't quite wait to get to my sermon, so but I am going to have to wait. I, you know, I get excited as I get into the Lord's Word and God begins to speak to me, and uh, I have some very, very good news for us today. You guys ready for good news? You guys ready for good news? All right. Well, we'll start it by reading uh, Psalm one twenty one, which is actually our memorization for this month, but it is so appropriate for. Our service today. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved, and he that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. We thank you for your tender mercies. We thank you, Lord, for the work of the cross on our behalf. Lord, that uh, through the sacrifice that you offered on the cross in the body of Jesus Christ, Lord, that it made provision for our sins. It satisfied the justice of God. And because of that, Lord, when you look at us, you see us sinless as he lived a sinless life. Lord, you see us covered in him. And in Him, we have hope. Lord, we are thankful that we are in Christ and that we are new creatures, Lord, that old things are passed away and all things have become new. Today, help us to enjoy and celebrate this new life that You've given us all together as Foundation Church. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy text today. It's only five verses long. And uh, my sermon today is called Unmovable Mountains Surrounded by God. Isn't that pretty? It's actually a picture of Crater Lake, which is probably a very movable mountain. <laughs> it's in a volcano. <laughs> uh, but I wanted the picture of the mountain being in the middle, surrounded by mountains, because this is a picture that we get in Psalm 125. Um, 
you've ever been, well, if you've ever been, there are those here that have been to Pastor Nang's village. It is a large mountain in the middle of a ring of mountains. Um, but I don't know that we have a great picture of that. Uh, if I could have found that, that would have been, that would have been pretty epic. So anyway, Psalm 125, I'm going to read this for you. A song of ascents. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts, and as for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel. Let us pray. Lord, we pray today, Lord, that you would speak to your people from your word. Lord, that you would encourage us uh, in what we read here in Psalm 125 that it would cause us to think differently, that it would cause us to feel differently, and cause us to live differently. Lord, draw us nearer to you. Sanctify us by your word. Lord, your word is truth. And all God's people said, you may be seated. In the cult classic movie, The Princess Bride, how many have ever seen The Princess Bride? There's a famous comedic fight scene between the Spanish swordsman Inigo Montoya and the dread pirate Roberts, who everyone actually knows is Wesley. Okay, Wesley is the long-lost love of Princess Buttercup, who has come, he has come to save. And he's wearing this mask, but nobody who is watching the movie is wondering who he is. Everybody knows it's Wesley. But before the fight begins, the honor-driven Spaniard says to Wesley, he says, you know, you are a decent man. I hate to kill you. And he responds, you seem a decent fellow yourself. I hate to die. Anyone seen this scene? It's a very funny scene. And as the two men begin to duel with their swords clanging, using all of their very best moves, they begin to name this move and that move, and they're fighting, and it's a very funny scene. And they're complimenting each other on their skill. Both seem very amazed that they had each met a left-handed swordsman who was their equal. The Spaniard at one point says to Wesley, You are wonderful, and I admit that you are better than I. He replies, then why are you smiling? And he says, because I know something that you do not know. I am not left-handed. And they begin to fight. He throws the sword in his hand, and then he begins to fight right-handed. And, of course, this happens again uh, when he's beating Wesley. And Wesley says, then why are you smiling? He says, because I know something you don't know. I am not left-handed either, and then they begin to fight. You might say, well, what kind of an opening is that for a sermon on a Sunday morning? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. 
Today here at Foundation Church, as we come to the 125th Psalm, we too have cause for smiling because we know something that our enemies, Christina, that they don't know. We know something that they don't know. And what we know, guys, is that we cannot lose. It kind of puts a different spirit in the fight, right? I mean, this might be the only time in the history of my teaching that I've made video game analogies twice in one week. I did it Thursday night. I referenced the purifier in Call of Duty. And uh, I'm going to reference another video game thing right here. You know, when you're playing in a video game and you know that you're going to respawn, you really aren't worried about dying. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you don't play video games, you don't know what I'm talking about. You're like, you're like, so what? I'm going to just shoot everybody and I'm going to defeat everybody because what? Well, if they shoot me, I'll just come back to the game. It's, you know, I get a respawn, they call it, a respawn. You might go, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor Mike? The truth is, is that if we live a little bit more like we were in the game that we're actually in, then the real life that we think that we're living in, we might just smile a little more often and fret a whole lot less. Today in this sixth psalm of ascent, the singer smiles, a knowing smile in the midst of a battle, a battle by faith. He knows he is certain to win. And I don't think we live like this. I really think that sometimes we live as though we think we can lose. We live as though somehow all that God says, Sister Jackie, is not really true. But the truth is, is that it is true. And then if we can understand this today, we too can, you know, I, I was reading a book this week and I, I, I really took exception to what he said. Now, I know this guy is a Christian and I know that he, uh, you know, probably studied a lot, went to a lot of school. But how many know the difference between a tragedy and a comedy? You guys know the difference? All right, Nathaniel knows, Gideon knows. A tragedy... Huh? A tragedy never ends very good, right? But a comedy always has a favorable outcome in the end, right? And this guy who's describing the Christian faith and he's describing our life, he said, we all need to realize that we're living in the midst of a tragedy. Now, he's wanting to point out the fact that things are not all, you know, roses and happiness and that there's a lot of bad things going on, and they are. But the truth is, Brother Jeff, we're living in the middle, not of a tragedy, we're living in the middle of a comedy. You might go, well, it doesn't seem very comedic. Well, I'm telling you, it is. We can't lose. I mean, is it scary to watch a movie when you know the guy is, the, what are you going to, in the middle of the movie, the hero's going to die? He's not going to die. I mean, it's sort of fun watching him and sort of thinking that he might, but you kind of know he's not going, no matter what happens, he's going to figure out a way to fly the helicopter. He's going to figure out a way to beat the bad guys, he's going to win. You wouldn't go to the movie if in the middle of every movie the guy you hope would win just loses and then the whole world is overrun by evil. I mean, would you, how many would sign up to go see like 10 movies like you'd be like, no, I don't want to see that. I want to see the win. I want to see the guy win. Is Jesse laughing because you like those movies? You like them? <laughs> French movies, okay. <laughs> but we're not living in the midst of a tragedy story. Yes, there are. there is tragedy within the story. 
There are horrible things. There are atrocities. There is pain. There is difficulty. There is suffering. But in the end, it's all a comedy. Because in the end, it's going to resolve itself with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and every evil person getting what's coming to them and all of us who need bad things coming to us. They don't even come to us. We get good things. Guys, this is a great story that we're living in. We're living in a story where we win no matter what. What a great story. Psalm 125, as we begin to look at it, just verse by verse, we begin with the inspired heading. It simply says it is a song of ascents. The psalm has this short inspired heading, which is how we know that it is one of the 15 psalms in this group. This one's not attributed to any writer in particular, but the commentators, all of them that I read, were certain that David himself must have written this one as well. And as we will see, there is certainly a step up. Everybody say, a step up. There is an ascent here as well in these words that we do well to take with us today. You know, life is filled with a lot of losses. It's filled with a lot of difficulty and pain and a lot of psychology. It is really weird that when people think they're going to fail, they fail. But when they believe they're going to win, they win. It's weird that when you golf, Tim, that when you are lined up and you're looking at the green down there, when there's a lake over here, and the whole time you're going like this, you're going, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to hit the lake. I'm worried I'm going to hit the lake. And you're like, but, but you don't have to hit in the lake. You just hit right down the fairway. But you're worried about that. And, and because the lake is there, you hit the ball in the water. A lot of life is psychology. A lot of walking with God is what you think. It's how you feel. Many times we've discussed the stories of the Bible and you get to these stories and then you go, well, wonder if Job had known what was going on if he would have felt differently in the story. What if God would have said, now listen, for the ages, for thousands of years, people are really going to respect how you deal with this situation and I'm going to bring the devil here to see if he can shake you and, and in the end, everything you lost, you're going to get more. That would have kind of ruined the whole story of Job. But in Job, he's really, he's he's like, He's in ashes and his life is tragic and he's sad and he's hopeless and his friends are turning against him and terrible things are happening. But Job's living a comedy out as well. Job's in heaven, smiling, laughing, and thinking, wow, I got picked out to be a character in a Bible that people for thousands of years are reading about. I almost really despaired. Maybe I would have never made the story. I don't know. Imagine what he's thinking now, but it's all a comedy for... Job today. You go, well, it's not very funny. Well, I think maybe life is a little more funny than we think. I'm not saying that every time I get in a counseling session and someone's having a hard time, I'm like, are you stupid? Don't you know we win? Are you stupid? Don't you know that, that all this worrying the Bible says that you do is a total waste of your time? What are you worrying about? It's settled. I don't do that, but the truth is and that Psalm 125 calls us away from this life that we live where we believe we're living in a tragedy and he calls us to remember that we're living in a comedy because we know something of course the suspension so we know something that you do not know i cannot lose imagine walking around in the world and and dealing with your enemies and dealing with the hard things that come against you and difficulty in your life and speaking to them tim by going 
hey, just so you know, I know I can't lose here. So, you know, you had me worried for a moment. I was sweating it for a second, but wait a minute. I just remembered I can't lose. Starting in verse 1, it says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot, everybody say cannot, cannot be removed and abideth forever. Now, I don't know if you need the double help here in a verse, but it can't be removed. Does not? We don't need to add, Rachel, that it abides forever. If it can't be removed, then it's not going to be removed. But God doesn't just do that in His Word. He gives us more than that it can't be removed. He said it can't be removed and it abides forever. Do you know why we need that joy? We need it because we live thinking we're living in a tragedy and God has to give us not just one smack to wake us up, He gives us two. You cannot lose! You cannot be removed and you will abide forever. But that's not even all that He gives us in Psalm. That's all He gives us in this one verse. He gives us even more. But I want to stop for a minute before we move on to talk about this phrase, they that trust the Lord. Say, trust the Lord. So what does it mean to trust the Lord? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 has been a theme for our Wisdom Ways classes this year. And honestly, it's been a theme verse for my life since I put it to memory 40 years ago. We did a section called Pentecostal Doctrine, and uh, it was passages throughout the Scripture, and this was, I don't know what doctrine they were teaching us in this moment, but I like it. And as we go to it again, we will read much of the full thought from Proverbs chapter 3 all the way down to verse 18 to see what it actually means to trust the Lord. Some of you say, you know what, I want to trust the Lord, but I don't really know how to do that. Well, Proverbs chapter 3 tells us how to do it. You ready? Trusting in the Lord is not simply a mental assent that God is reliable, okay? Real trust, real faith acts on what we believe. And this is how the Bible defines true trust in God. It's, it's Titus, it's what you do. If, if you believe that chair will hold you, how do you demonstrate your belief? By sitting on it. You could look at it and say you do believe it, but you don't. I don't really know, and I can't really see that you actually believe that until what do you put your trust in it and you sit on it? Proverbs three says, "Trust in the Lord." Say it with me: "Trust in the Lord." He says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart," and he begins to tell us how when he says, "And lean not unto thine own understanding." True trust in God does not hinge on your understanding of how or why God is doing what He is doing, or your ability to figure it out and turn it into some kind of sound theological argument. God does not need you to understand. And in fact, leaning on your understanding is a way to not lean on God. You're like, well, I, I need to know. I need to understand. Well, you do, but not to please God. You do because you're a sinner. You want to know. You want to understand. You want to figure it out. You want to know when 2 plus 2 equals 4, and you want to know, because we're, we're like that. And God says, well, I don't always tell you everything. In fact, my thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. In fact, they're past finding out. I don't think like you. I don't act like you. I don't do like you do. Quit trying to figure me out and just read my word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not. Lean not what? Don't put your weight on 
your own understanding. That's not saying we shouldn't try to understand God. You just can't lean on it. It can't be the thing that holds you up. Like, if I just knew what God was doing. God's strength is made perfect. It is matured in our weakness, our, our lack of understanding, our sureness about ourselves. The less sure we are about ourselves, the more sure we can be about who? About God. And we battle with this, especially when we're successful or when people think we're great. People look up to us. We have great achievements in our life. We begin to believe our own press and we begin to believe that we're something. And God says, quit it. Quit leaning on you. And you know what? I love you so much. I'm going to just wreck your life so that you know not to do that. Well, that's that's not very nice. Yeah, it is. Anything God does, I mean, if, if I had a cane up here and I'm leaning on it and leaning on it and God is telling me, you know, in order for you to ever be able to walk again, you need to quit leaning on that cane. And I'm like, oh, but I need it. I need it. The best thing that God could do is come and kick that cane out from underneath me and leave me sprawling on the floor. Why? Because as long as I'm leaning on that cane and I'm not putting weight on my leg, guess what, guys? I'm never going to learn to walk. When you lean on your understanding, you will not lean on God. The more we know, the sure we are in ourselves, it seems the more tempted we are to lean on our own understanding. So don't do that. Instead, see yourself as weak and in need of the Spirit's constant leading. Whether you see yourself this way or not, this is what you are. We are indeed weak and we're foolish. And so the first thing you must do to truly trust God is to stop trusting yourself and lean in and lean on God. That is what it means to trust, and that's what trust does. Verse 6, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. What this means is that at every moment you can, at every turn in your path, and in every conversation and prayer, you should be acknowledging God, not yourself, not some great idea that you came up with, but you should be acknowledging God. When we do this, when we do this as Jesus said we should say, hey, if the Lord lived, if the Lord allows us to live, and if the Lord wills, then we will do thus and so. Remember Jesus said to say that? Why is He saying that? Because we lean on what we're going to do. You know, we're going to go and do this. And I'm like, hey, you know what? If the Lord lets me live, and if the Lord wills, I am going to go and do that. But if not, I'm not. That kind of that kind of takes your own sureness out of there, right? And you might go, well, I don't need to say that. I think we do. I think we do need to say it. I think that's why Jesus said to not say what we're going to do all the time, but to say if the Lord wills. And if we live, then we will do this and that. If someone has something good to say about you, your family, your church, you know, we should say, we should say, the Lord has been very good to me. He's been good to my family. He's been good to our church. He's been so kind to us to allow us to be a part of His work and to share in His glory with us. This is how we acknowledge God. Why? Because because you're wrong if you don't. If you see the things that God does in your life as a result of your smartness, your hard work, your righteousness of all these things, you're seeing it all wrong. We should be telling the stories of God's faithfulness in our lives when we have fallen short at the same time and even been faithless. When we make these positive 
truths when we tell people stories like this about how God was great and how we weren't, what do we do? We are acknowledging God. In all our ways, as we acknowledge Him in humility, God will lead us. Folks, we need direct intervention from God to lead us every single day. Verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. This is how we depart from evil. As Paul said, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You see, the flesh, not just, you know, oh, I want a piece of candy, so I lust after it, and I go get it. No, our whole life is led around by our desires, our desires to be liked, our desires to feel successful, our desire to be loved, okay? All of these things, our desire to have meaning, to, to add, to, to, oh, I want to be, you know, I want to be significant, all of that, that is what you want. That's what your flesh wants. But the Bible says we got to walk in the Spirit. Well, walking in the Spirit says, I don't really care. I am crucified with Christ. I don't care what I get. I am not seeking my own here. I want to serve the Lord. And I'll tell you what, when you do that, you'll end up having so much more than you'll ever have seeking it and trying to get it for yourself. This is how we depart from evil. Verse 8, it shall be health to thy navel and merit to thy bones. The next verse here in Proverbs tells us another way we show our trust in God. Verse 9, honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits of all of our increase. You see, by giving back to God what He has given to us, we show our trust in Him that He has given us all that we need and He will sustain us. Giving to God our tithe and our free will offerings shows our trust in God. It is a way to say, yes, I trust in God. I give God back what He gives to me. Faith, trust, takes action. Verse 10, what does it say is going to happen? Well, if you do that, what? Verse 10, so shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. We also trust Him when things are seemingly going badly for us by understanding that all things come from the hand of God. We don't have to enjoy it, but at the same time, we cannot despise it either. This is how we show our trust in God. When we come to a situation in our life and we're looking at it and we're going, you know what, this is terrible, This is something's wrong here. Well, you know, This is where we miss it. We, no, 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 it isn't. This is exactly what God brought us because it's where we need to be. You go, well, you know, something's something's gone wrong. It's like like it's like with our cars, right? I think something's going out. I think the serpentine belt is about to break here. You know, we, we like to diagnose that what God is doing in our life, that something's going wrong. Things are not going wrong. God is not uh, you know, gonna break down on us. He's not going to, you know, fail us here. God is like, oh, let me yeah. Well, in order to bring this about in Stephen's life, here's where Stephen's got to go. You're like, oh, and I'm not, I don't need to go there. I don't need to. You can just tell me, Lord. Just tell me. I don't know if you guys saw that movie, The Karate Kid, years ago, and he's trying to train that kid, and he, the kid's not particularly, you know, he's ready to just fight, and he's like, oh, no, you need to, you need to paint the fence, right? You need, to, you need to scrub the floor. And he's like, this is dumb. I thought you said you were going to teach me something. I'm not. And he's like, Miyagi, his his you know his instructor he's just like just paint the fence and he's painting the fence painting the fence painting the, he is now when you paint you got to paint it like this now so he's like oh okay i'll do that i'll paint the fence 
Later on, he understands it all, but in the midst of it all, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand that a lot of what God is doing in our life is he's preparing and conditioning us into bringing us to a wonderful place that we're not going to get any other way. He says here in verse 11, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. So that's what I'm talking about. This is another way of trusting God, not despising what God is doing in our lives. And we can't. I can tell you right now, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of going, God, this isn't good. Lord, where are you in all of these things? And Lord, why aren't you listening to me? And all the while, what God is saying to me by not saying anything is, I brought you here. I put you here. This is what's good for you. This is what's wonderful for you. And you keep saying it's not. What am I doing? Despising the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary of His correction. I mean, like I need a double emphasis there. You know? Don't despise the chastening and then don't get tired. Like, oh, okay. Here, here God comes again. I mean, is he, does He just take pleasure and in, in, in beating me up like, like, a, like a drunk? You know? He gets drunk and then He goes and kicks the dog and beats the family? Is this what God is like? Everybody say, God's not like that! God isn't indiscriminately getting angry and hurting us. He's not trying to pay us back for the wrong that we've done. And when we treat God like this, we are despising the chastening of the Lord and we have become weary of His correction. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Verse 12, for whom the Lord loves, He corrects. In fact, God says, not only should you not despise it, you should realize it is love from me. Some of you know what this is like. Some of you some of you have parents who loved you. Some did not. But everybody figures this out in the end. Hey, you know what? My mom loves me. My mom didn't want me to turn out like this. My mom didn't want my life to be miserable. My mom loved me enough to discipline me. For whom the Lord loves. And I say my mom. I say my mom because my mom, she did a lot of living in my house. <laughs> For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, even a father, a son, in whom He delights. Do you see this picture? He says, don't despise the chastening. Then don't be weary of correction. And then it's like a poem. It's flipped back and forth. He says, love comes in the form of correction and a son whom God delights. See this positive, this is opposite. You have despising and then you have delighting. We just want to say, well, okay, well, I don't really like it. You know, how many of you would be happy to know that God delights in you? Anna, how about that? You know, God delights in you. Like, okay. Kind of like, hey, imagine if we begin to see the trials that God brings our way is the Lord taking delight in us. Happy is the man that finds wisdom, the man that gets understanding. He's talking about what comes from trust in the Lord. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, the gain more than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies, and all the things that you can desire are not to be compared with her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. What's he talking about? He's talking about when you trust God, you may not like the correction. You may get weary of it. You may despise it. But don't. 
This is love, and it's the pathway to beauty in your life. This is what trust in God is and what it brings in us in this life. Everybody say, in this life. But you know, that's not all it brings. It brings us even more in the next. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. This is where our smile begins. If you are here today and you didn't come smiling, you should start to smile right now. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. In the midst of any obstacle or onslaught of the enemy, we, these weak and frail jars of clay, we who trust in the Lord, can be like the holy mount of God when the law was delivered to Moses, the mountain that was not moved when the thunder and the lightning surrounded it, and as its rocks turned black from the fires of God coming on it, even God didn't move the mountain. He came and touched the mountain with His glory, and He burned it black. The mountain was especially set apart unto God. No man or animal was allowed to touch it or they would die. We can be like this, specially set apart unto God if we trust in the Lord. And if we, and if that were not enough, as this mountain, we cannot be removed. So it's enough to be the mountain, but not just to be the mountain. It can't be removed. And then it can't be removed, he says, forever. We become eternal mountains, steadfast in the promise of God. And to add emphasis, the psalmist adds that not only can we not be removed, but that we will abide forever. This should make us smile, a smile that causes our enemies to look at us while they're hurting us, while they're chastening us, while the devil is throwing his fiery darts at us and we are fighting him and he goes and he looks and he goes, what is going on, Naomi? Why are you smiling? And you say, because I know something you do not know. (laughs) Well, what is that, Naomi? I cannot live. Yes, you can come against me. You can fight me. You can hurt me. But let me tell you what, when you hurt me, do you know what you're doing? You aren't fires that can consume me. You are the fires that are purifying me. That God is taking your hatefulness and your sinfulness and your ungodliness and He's taking them. And like it says in Proverbs, that silver is for the furnace. That gold is for the furnace. And what we say is, yeah, you can throw me in the fiery furnace. And God may decide to just, maybe there's nothing good in me. Maybe nothing good can come from me, but you know what happens when God throws the Hebrew children into the furnace? He's there. And in the midst of the, He didn't keep them from being thrown in the furnace. He had them thrown in the furnace because it was in the furnace that they were purified and they, they come out on the other side and everyone's like, holy mackerel. What in the world? That is a picture for us, of us. It should make us a smile that causes our enemies to ask why we're smiling when they think they're winning. We can reply confidently in good humor because we know something that they don't. People who hate you cannot stand it when you smile. They'll say, what are you smiling about? Are you laughing at me? I'm going to come over there and I'm going to knock that smile off of your face. Unfortunately, guess what, guys? They're not going to be able to. Because those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion and they cannot be moved and they abide forever. And I can see a few of you out here today starting to smile a little bit just thinking about it. I know I am. I need 
though, to be reminded of this quite often. I think we all do. Thankfully, Psalm 125, the sixth step closer up the worship of God the Israelites took on their three annual pilgrimages of praise. Thank God it is there for us as a reminder. Psalm 46, a song of the sons of Korah. I can tell you right now, when the ground opened up and swallowed their forefather Korah, they weren't going, oh, this is fantastic. This is great. But you know what they did with that? They're like, hey, you know what they got to thinking, Amy? I actually didn't get swallowed today. I'm related to Korah. I probably should be. I was kind of agreeing with them. I was kind of on his side there for a minute. But, you know, when the ground opened up and swallowed him, but it didn't swallow me, hey, I got a little chance here. Maybe God's going to not destroy me and he's going to let me live. And the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 46. And he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. I'd like everyone in this room to say this. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. No matter what the circumstances may be, we, the people of God, should not fear. Perfect trust in God, perfect love casts out all such fear. And all that fear has for you is torment. Smile, smile, knowing this today, that ye who trust the Lord. Verse, thir- verse 3, though the waters thereof roar, be troubled, though the mountains shake in the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. Everybody say, I shall not be moved. We used to sing a song when I, when I was a kid. I shall not be I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. So as we praise God, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And now we're coming to verse 2. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth, even forever. I love this verse. And as soon as I read it, it reminded me of one of the most encouraging verses in the New Testament. I never tire of hearing this. You might go, Pastor Mark, I think I've heard this at least 30 times. Well, stick around. You're going to keep hearing it over and over and over again because when I read Psalm 25 and I get to verse 2 I can't not go to 1 Peter there's no way in the world to not go there I join the psalmist in his growing smile because he knows something his enemies don't know and we get to sing a verse of our own you see at the time that he lived he didn't know the verse in 1 Peter but we do you see we the the saints of God today we can sing a verse to the Psalm 125 that he didn't know quite yet and it comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And this is the part I say all the time. I say this so many times. But folks, you got, you got to hear this. Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. And I'm telling you, that verse alone is like what I call layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. It's an 
All, I, all he would have had to say is to an inheritance incorruptible, but he doesn't. He adds, undefiled. And then he says, and it fades not away. And he says, and oh yeah, it's reserved in heaven for you. Guys, come on. That's only the first verse because he you'd think he would stop by now. What, what more does he need to say, Jeff? He says, who are kept by the power of God through the faith of salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found into the praise and the honor and the glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom, though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable. What's he talking about? He's talking about the smile. What? The, the trial of your faith. You're in the middle of this trial. And he goes, oh, but we can smile in the trial. Oh, there's a t-shirt. Come on. We're, smile in the trial. Mm. I may just preach that. I may just take off right here. Smile in the trial. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In 1 Peter, when he says this, he says, do you know the reason you smile and the reason you have joy unspeakable is because you know you cannot lose. And I go, oh, I feel like I'm losing right now and I don't feel really good and all of my dreams aren't coming true. And Yeah, they are. You just don't know. And you're the grumpy pants person in the middle of it complaining about what God's given you. In the end, you're just going to be embarrassed. In the end, you're going to be like, really? I mean, that was what, Lord, if I would have known you were going to do that. <laughs> if I would have known that was going to happen, Lord. I remember a time in my life that I am diverging. Okay, can you guys stand it? If anybody has to leave, whatever. But I remember a time in my life I thought my life was over. I was living in a situation where I was being treated like horrendous trash. I was married to a woman who was cheating on me who I had to leave the church because I couldn't pastor because she was violent. And I'm very demoralized. And I thought my life was completely over. And in the middle of it all, I'm suffering through it all. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to be able to, to do what God called me to do in the church. I'm never going to have a happy marriage. My life is over. This woman is making my life miserable. And this didn't go on a year, Tim. It went on one year. And then it went on two years. And three years. And four years. And five years. And six years. I remember laying on the carpet in the room underneath a Christmas tree, taking the fallen needles and sticking them there and making like a little world at the bottom of the tree, crying out to God and saying, God, I served you and I did everything you wanted me to do, God, and you brought me here and you destroyed my life. And you know what God was? He was patient. And he was kind to me because he said, you know what? If I told Mark right now, he would have a Nathaniel and Elizabeth and a Rebecca and a Benjamin and an Anna and a Gideon, and a Valiant, and a Liam, and did I leave any of you out? And an Andrea of all the names. Had I not known, I would have been like, I would have been so smug. I would have been like, oh, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. If he had told me that I was going to meet a Tim Hatfield, and I was going to see him come to know God, and that he would live in my house, and that we would work together building a chicken empire. That's an insight. 
if he had told me, my kids were telling me this week about how they remember growing up, but I did not know this. They never told me this. They're like, we remember we were in our rooms at night and we remember that you would all be out by the bonfire singing and praising God and we would be on our tiptoes, Joy, and we would look out the windows and we would long. We wanted to be out there. And many nights my children fell asleep in the arms of a Christina or an Amy or, or an Ashley or whoever it was. Brandon. I didn't know all of that was going to happen. And in the midst of my tragic days, I wish somebody would have taken me to Psalm 125 and said, you are like a mountain. You're not just like any mountain. You're like God's special, holy, beautiful, wonderful mountain. And you cannot be removed. And not only is that true, but I am a wall of mountains around you. I love you. I am protecting you. I am writing a story through you. It's not like we needed verse 2. Verse 1 was enough. But God doesn't simply give us what we need. His blessings to us are pressed down, shaken together, running over. He opens up the windows of heaven. He pours out of His goodness upon us until our cup overflows. He could have just saved us from our misery in this world below, from our own misery. He does that for sure. But He does so much he makes us his unmovable mountains. And if that weren't enough, he surrounds us with his love and his protection. What do we even need his protection for if we can't be moved? If we can't, if we abide forever, Joy, what do we even need his protection for? And he goes, oh, I'm going to throw that in there for free. Which means we could not even be in the mountain. We could not even be immovable. We didn't even need it. We would just have God. But he says, no, I'm going to make you an immovable mountain. You're going to be like Mount Zion. You're going to be special and holy and you're going to abide forever and it can't be removed. Oh, and guess what? I'm going to surround you too. As the Heidelberg says, and we quoted it earlier today, he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my hand. Indeed, that everything is fit that works together for my good and my salvation. You see, the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. He has made us His immovable, unmovable mountains. He surrounds us as a wall that cannot be shaken. He reminds us in verse 3 that our situation that we're in right now is temporary. Everybody say temporary. You know, we can almost endure anything we know that's going to come to an end. He says here in verse 3, For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. What is being said here in the Hebrew, Tim, is that it's there. And yeah, they can, they can whoop you, but they can't keep it up. This will come to an end. He says, Lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. What's he talking about? God's word says he will not put on us more than we can bear but that with every temptation that comes in our life, He provides a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. When it even talks about the great and dreadful day of the Lord, it said that God uh, caused those days to be shortened, lest it would tempt the righteous to despair. 
You might be suffering under the rod of some oppressor today, but this is not a permanent condition. This too shall pass. Weeping does endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You are silver fit for the furnace where God renews the inward man day by day. And while he puts to death the old man who rails against God and wants to reign where Christ is now and forever king, you are God's immovable mountain surrounded by his glory, his power, and his protection. And that should just make you want to smile, smile, smile. We should be smiling ear to ear no matter what our oppressor's rod is on us now or what we fear those things that we give way to in moments of weakness, it's all very temporary. And one day, it will give way to the eternal realities that God has declared over us. What will it be? Jonathan, what's it going to be in eternity when we look back on that? The Bible says this little time that we spend is going to seem to us like, like, like a little puff of vapor but that eternity will be a weighty, lengthy, timeless, powerful time. And But we live our lives right now believing that we're only going to live in the vapor. Our enemies will look at us with wonder and maybe even ask why we smile. And we can say, I know so many things that you don't know. I am unmovable. I will abide forever. I am surrounded by God who loves me. His mountains of mercy surround me, and this is not a temporary condition. What you're doing to me is temporary. What God has done for me is eternal. What you might do to me tomorrow, or even some of us, you may seem to beat us down, what others have done to us in the past, a very long time ago, maybe many years ago, sometimes it still beats us down like a rod of an oppressor. But I invite you today to speak to whoever it is or whatever it was and say with a smile, I know something that you don't know. So many people today are just shackled by what was done to them. And they never, they, they, they feel they're never going to get out on earth the rod of that. But the truth is, is it is temporary. I would invite you, I know this may sound a little, you know, psycho, it's like psychological babble. I think you ought to speak to those people that hurt you in your past and say, you know what? What you did to me is temporary. And what you did to me, God was working something good in me through it. You remember what Joseph said to his brothers? Now they were there. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. This is all a temporary condition that will pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord and His promises to me will never pass away. We will be here when you, who, your enemies, the devil, who's trying to destroy you, we're going to be here when he is, where? When he's cast in the lake of the fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We'll still be shining when the earth burns in a fervent heat in God's judgment. And until this, he is using you to make me what I will be in eternity. Imagine saying that to the person whipping you. If you've ever read the story of, of Richard Wormbrand, 
got a weird name, but he was in a, I believe it was a Romanian prison, and he used to look forward, Jeff, to his beatings. He was beat every day for, I think, like a few hours. They would beat him with a stick. And he said he looked forward to those days because during those times he could talk to them about Jesus. Imagine saying, you know, hey, what you're doing to me, I know you think you're hurting me. And it does. It really hurts. It's horrible. But it's temporary. There's going to come a day when you won't be able to do that. And really what you're doing in me is making me more like Christ. Imagine if we could see our life like this. Psalm 125 is inviting us to see it like that. To see us for who we really are. Not for who we think we are right now. We could say to them, you cannot scar me with a scar that will mar my soul. Your sins and your selfishness, your hatred, can only make me more of what I will be when this vaporous life is over and eternity dawns in earnest. I hope you can feel this welling up today in your souls. I pray a smile comes where suffering was. And when we see it in the light of Psalm 125 and all of God's words, we begin here our marching orders for the soldiers of this mighty army that we're in. For God has a plan for you, and He has a plan for them too. And He lays it out for us in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, All right, now that you know you're an immovable mountain, now that you know that you abide forever, now that you know you're like mighty Mount Zion, now that you know that I'm surrounding you and I'm protecting you and I'm going to take care of you and, and the rod of the oppressor is not going to lie on you always. It's a temporary condition. Because of that, verse 4, everybody say, do good. That's what it says. That's the response. Sometimes we learn something, Rachel, like we didn't know. And it's like, all right, what are we going to do about it? All right, do good. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good and to them that are upright in their hearts. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that God has good works predestined for us from before we were ever born. And that Jesus tells us to be the light that's on the hill, a city that cannot be hid, that we're to let our light shine before men, that they will glorify our Father in heaven. God has good things for us here on earth. Verse 5, As for such as turn aside into their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth from the workers of iniquity with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. We talked about Jerusalem, praying for the peace of Jerusalem in a previous psalm here in one of the Psalms of Ascent. Salem means peace. The, 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 the J-E, the J at the beginning is, a, is the peace of God, God's peace, Jerusalem. That's us. We're, we're the holy city of God come down from heaven to earth. We're that new creation, that new earth. We're it. For such as turn aside under their crooked, way, crooked ways, the Lord will lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace, everybody say peace. Peace shall be upon Israel. You and I are that Israel. We are that Jerusalem. This is what this all means and who we are. We are God's immovable mountains and we are surrounded by His immovable self from now and forevermore. Can we smile today? Just That's my response today. Can we smile? Can we smile knowing that? 
And if I could convince you to, 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 I don't know, symbolically, maybe when you're home alone, I don't know, maybe in your prayers, smile at those people that have hurt you and say, you can't do anything permanent to me. God has declared a permanence in my life. And what you can do is only temporary and works for me. I think that'd be a healthy way to live. I really do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are learning from this psalm who we are. We certainly don't feel like this from day to day. We don't feel like Mount Zion or any mountain, Lord. We feel like a bag of dirt sometimes. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, that it doesn't matter what we feel like. Feelings change. But today, maybe, if we heard your word and we needed a feeling, we could get the feeling that this too will pass. That you are working in our lives and that you have made us your immovable mountains. Lord, Lord it's a mighty thing that you do. As you spoke in the darkness and there was light, you spoke into our lives, Lord, we who were marred with sin, and you said that we were holy. Oh, Lord God, make us holy as you are holy, Lord. Make us special and holy like Mount Zion. Make us that. And make us to see that as we are. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.